thought I should Something told me not to go Cold hands reached out Here we go. Welcome to Perfect Brainstorm. I'm Brian Perry. And I'm Houston Bobbley. And did you hear did you notice Jake that? Bush! <laughs> what what is oh yeah, that was a great Jake Bush impersonation. I'm I'm Jacob Harold Bushery. And I'm excited for this episode. How did you guess my first character? I can't believe you guessed my first <laughs> character, Jacob Harold Bushery. Um Yep. If uh if you haven't figured it out yet, that wasn't Jake. Jake uh, is not able to join us this week. Um, but so it's just me with my master impression Houston with his amazing impressions. Um, so yeah, we're doing slightly different than what we were planning on. We were going to do Pokemon RPG, but he's, uh, he's running the show on that and can't join us this week. So we're doing a different thing. So we're doing something slightly different. Um, he was sort of running the show on the Pokemon RPG, which is what we were planning on this week. Um, but wasn't able to get to that. And so... Um, we're doing something that I have kind of contemplated as a concept for sort of its own podcast. And we tweaked it to kind of make sense within our podcast. Um, and that is creating D and D characters. Um, except <clears throat> here's the twist. And it is going to be, and it is going to be as nerdy as that sounds. Yeah, so if you seriously. already are not interested in this podcast episode, it, we'll forgive you. Thanks for the download. Yeah. Thanks for the play. <laughs> We'll see um, you later. But but let me well, let me come back. Let me give you this to lure you back in if you like fantasy but not D&D. There is I'm sure there there's some small sliver of people who are in that category. Um we are doing <laughs> sort of a revisit to our fantasy episode with the the Practitions universe that we created. Um and we're going to create basically we're going to use what we know about creating D&D characters to help us create characters for our novels since we we never actually made characters. Well, we we both re-listened to the episode. We there there are some there are some hints at, at some characters, uh, but we didn't really flesh anyone out. So we thought, oh, that'd be fun to use D&D mechanics to sort of help us along the way to figuring out these characters. So talking about race and class and background and stuff like that. Um, I thought maybe we can get into like ideals, bonds, flaws, that kind of thing if, uh, if we want to. Uh, if you know or D&D, then you know it. what that means. If not, don't worry about it. But... Um, yeah, this is kind of um, fun. I do like the, I do like the gate that this episode opens for us in that we can revisit old episodes that we didn't have <laughs> enough time within the hour segment that we had yeah. to flush it out. Say, hey, let's spend a little more time. Let's develop this. Let's keep working towards making this an actual thing, right. little by little. Yeah, kind and of. That is what is happening. the The premise of this whole thing has sort of been, like, it's it's hard to be creative, right? And it's hard to sort of put yourself out there. But if you tell yourself you're doing it as a joke for a podcast, it makes it easier. And so, like, I think I think all of us have had sort of had the thought of, oh, it'd be fun to write a, a fantasy novel. But it's very hard to sit down and write a fantasy novel um, and kind of allow yourself to admit to yourself that you're writing a fantasy novel. But if you're doing it as a joke for a podcast, then you can do it. And that's we're going to keep fleshing that out because I really do like the world that we created with the with the practitioners. One day we're going to accidentally write a book and have to publish it. Yeah, I feel without like... Without editing or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's a great idea. So, um, how do we want to do this? I have... Let me look at my notes. I've got five well, ideas for characters should, here. I think we should start um, by saying, first of all, it will be most helpful if you go back to episode 15, The Practitions, 
and re-listen to that episode. If you don't have the time for that... Or the patience uh, to listen I to my bad audio. Or the patience to listen <laughs> to this bad audio, because that was a audastic nightmare. Yeah. That's a word I just made up. Yeah. Um, uh, do you, we should give a quick overview of what the Practitioner's yeah. Universe is. So, essentially, the world is a world where... Magic does not exist yet. It's sort of in the in the process of being discovered, maybe. And uh, the way the magic system works is that it's essentially split into these different schools of magic, which are sort of represented by the different real world fields of you know science. And so you know, learning gravity then eventually helps you learn how to levitate or something like that, right? Learning about electricity will finally you know allow you to create automatons and that kind of thing. So. Does that, does that kind the of understanding of science has like a greater implication in that it allows you to manipulate the rules of yeah, science. Exactly. Which is also true of real life. But but we're also saying that there are additional magical properties that can kind of be discovered. So um yes. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good summary uh, of we, at least the basics. Do we want to hint at signs of the Chilmerillion involved with this? Um, I didn't do anything set with the Chilmerillion, but if you did, then I think it's worth getting into. Um, the only thing I kind of alluded to is that there used to be magic in this world. and that That's fair. Forgotten. That's worth explaining. Yeah. And there may be characters who still remember aspects or remember how to obtain that oh, that's a good idea. access to magic. Yeah. We... Um... We, uh, we did talk about that sort of being a, a lingering sort of religious concept um, from the from the old days. So, yeah, that's that's good. Um, Basically, all you need to know about the Chilmerillion title pending is that there used to be warlocks and uh, demigods that warlocks would bond with. But then that dissipated over time. And so now the people of this world know that magic existed at one point. That there used to be a traditional magic it. system. It has gone away. Yeah, and they're sort of in the process of rediscovering it. But differently. But differently, yeah. I say we jump in. Okay, let's do it. Um, Let's see. Uh, how do I want to do this? I've got six char- five characters here um, that I've kind of okay. ba- barely fleshed out. I have general concepts for characters because, um, as I told you off air, we had... I had some miscommunication problems where I thought I sent (laughs) Brian a sheet where we could keep track of our characters, but I did not. So we did not align necessarily with our characters. So I've got some ideas and I know how to flush them out. But um, do you have a concept for protagonist? Because if not, you can help me with one. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a couple. Well, so, so a lot of the first novel we kind of thought up was that there would be a team of these scientists of these different uh, fields, right? Like let's get an let's get an expert in, you know, biology, an expert in um, you know, genetics, experts in different things, right? And they would put go on We're it. getting the gang together. Getting the gang together. I have a couple of those. Um but the character I actually want to start with is someone who is absolutely not gonna be a main character. Um <laughs> and it's a character that I created at the very start of the episode, and it's the tavern neighbor. <laughs> Remember my great tavern neighbor voice? I sure do. Um, I listened to that episode last night. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm the tavern neighbor. Um, he's a human barbarian. When he was an adventurer, he was a barbarian, but now he's retired. Um, 
and he just lives next to the is tavern. He jolly, and he complains. He complains about the the noise actually at the tavern. So his oh, name okay. is his name is Clark Gable. Um, just because <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. Is. Yeah. So that's that's my maybe to break the ice. That's sort of that character to say like, hey, maybe I didn't put that much thought into these characters. Um, I just uh, kind of made a joke well, about I, that one. I got a couple follow up questions because Clark Gable has to be real. Okay. Um, what is his background and what is his subclass? I would ask. Uh, I didn't do a subclass for him because I didn't care. Um, <laughs> and his background his background is adventurer. He's he's a former adventurer. Um, retired because that's that's one thing with these characters that I kind of really got into was the fact that they don't have to be adventurers you know what I mean like when yeah. you're building a character to play D&D campaign it's kind of dumb if you pick a character who's not an adventurer because what are you gonna do but it's interesting to now just have like oh this guy is retired he has a house building company which is why his name is Gables and uh, he just kind of hangs out but he used to be a barbarian so that's his background really he's uh, he's post-adventure um, as far as I can see, there's not a 5e adventure background. No, there isn't. Well, I think I, I think it's fine to just. Well, and one thing I realized is we'll eventually have to break ourselves away from from D and D. Like, I feel like D and D is a very useful tool for us to think of these characters, but eventually, like, we can't steal their IP, and so it was like whatever. I don't. I don't so try and stick 100 percent to their into- stuff how I came into this episode is yes. Uh, when we write the book, it's going to have to deviate. Right. But I thought it would be fun to constrict it as much to the D and D. Yes. Well, and I mostly did and um, line up. And then from there we can see, okay, this is where it doesn't line up. So that's how we can deviate it. Yeah, exactly. But I'm good either way. So I, I, one, one difference between our approaches as well is dictated by the fact that you just know a lot more. Um, and, and you, you're better at remembering this kind of stuff. So, like, I, I couldn't even tell you a barbarian subclass right now. Um, you know what they call me? The tavern master. Uh, is instead that your first character? TM. Did you also... Instead t- of the DM, I'm the TM. Nice. TM, TM, TM. TM, TM, TM. Um, sure, I can be the narrator of the story, the chronicler. Okay. Uh, and by me, I mean not me, but the character I'm creating. Uh, he's definitely going to be a bard. Yeah. Uh, and I think it would be really above and beyond if we could make the whole story lyrically possible. What? Um, as in, you can translate the book and give a musical undertone to it, and it works. Okay. Uh, so instead of saying, like, and then Harry Potter went to the Dursleys and spent the worst summer of his life there. It turns into, and Harry Potter went to the Dursleys. <laughs> da, 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 da. And so there is like a specific magical song that you can put to our book and it works. Okay, perfect. Because it's being told by a chronicler who is a bard. So that way you don't know if our protagonist is going to survive or not. If the story is told from their view, yeah. it's usually implied they're going to stick around. But if it's a narrator, I don't know. They could have a heroic sacrifice. So that is my guy. Uh, the twist in this is he's actually a Kenku. Nice. Um, which you find out at the end of the series. And that means someone had to tell him all of this or had to sing it okay. to him beforehand. But yeah, like he is a Kenku. He is relaying this mystery. Uh, I mean, he's a bard, subclass lore bard. 
Uh, he's going to be a cloistered scholar because that feels right. Yeah. That's my dumb character that I'm adding to this story. It seems like he could be. Name, a, it seems like he could be a far traveler too. He could be a far traveler if he's going to travel um, around telling the story. <laughs> maybe he's double wielding as a background of cloistered okay. scholar and far traveler. Yeah, that's the thing you can um, do: is dual wield backgrounds. Yeah, everyone wants to multi class. What about multi background? Perfect. Um, so his name's going to be. Of course. Uh, I mean, what else? Just is like that. His name going to be. Um, so is our narrator. All right. And you never learn his name until the very last line (laughs) in the epilogue. I can't wait to see how many apostrophes that has. Oh, I'm doing all the apostrophes right now. Um, okay, good. So we've got the, the tavern neighbor who probably, who probably doesn't factor into the story that much. We've got the narrator who is telling the story. Let's get some characters in the story. <laughs> so my first character is uh, Delza Gardener, who is a gnome, but who is raised in a human village, same village. So my first two, I guess just two characters are based in the same small town, okay? Where where I sort of imagine the, the story picking up. Um, so Delza Gardener is um, a ranger, but with focus in stuff like druid things, but I kind of decided that they wouldn't be able to take druid levels until they level up quite a bit, right? Because following with the story that that they wouldn't be able to discover that kind of uh, magic. And so... Well, here's here's what I would say to add to this, and this might help with your character. Rangers don't learn magic until, I think, level two, and then the magic that they learn is based off of druidic magic. So oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I think it works to just stick as a ranger potentially. Oh, that's true. Um, but I thought, you know, eventually their interest would be it's basically flavor to say that they're very, very into like plants and animals and that kind of thing. So Yes. Um they're an orphan. Um she was raised uh by the mayor of this town because she was sort of dropped at town hall. And she kind of like employs herself taking care of the gardens around town hall and that kind of thing and around town. And so she's got this knack and she's got this ability. And uh, basically the mayor says, Hey, you know, there's this party getting together um, to go do this sort of research. And I think you'd do great at it. And it's a chance for you to sort of make your own life instead of being sort of the, just the town orphan. Um, And so her, her goal is sort of to, to make progress with this, this uh, knowledge, but also to sort of find a family. Okay. So yeah, um, that, that's Delza Gardener. Delza the Gardener. Um, no, right now, name, I like. I feel like you said the in there. She, her last name just is Gardener. Um. Oh. Which this is sort whole of time I literally thought she was a gardener. She is, but she took that name. So there's a thing with gnomes that I read that they like they love names and they just keep, they'll come up with like a million names, but when they're around people who don't appreciate long, ridiculous names, they will pick two or three names that uh, most sort of apply to the situation. So she's Delza Gardener. Cause in this town, she's sort of known for, for managing the gardens. So what you're saying is her full name could be Delph Gardner orphan ranger who wants to be a Druid. Right? Exactly. That's exactly the kind of name she would have. Uh, but I shortened it to just Delza Gardner because, uh, she lives in a human town, and they're not really into that whole thing. 
Okay. Um, I think that's good enough for now. I think later we'll start to put yeah, together how all sort these... of some relationships and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to jump into what I hope is our main protagonist. Okay. Um, because on the episode we talked about is it the, the cartographer, uh, I'm assuming it is the cartographer. Himself. Perfect. Um, we talked about to just reiterate, uh, a guy who's going on a voyage mission from his homeland. They get shipwrecked, attacked by shark pirates. Yes. That's a thing in this world. Um, and I he did. Gets... I actually made a shark pirate. So sweet. Um, I basically used the stats of lizard folk for mine too. So, um, basically he washes ashore in a village on the coast. And what I'm adding to the lore of this world is that this village used to be, um, a place of grandeur and art and culture, but it has since fallen ruin to a bunch of shark pirate attacks or just other invaders. Cause it's going to be like on the far East of the main world that we're in the mainland. Okay. Um, and in this world, a new government establishment has been decreed and is basically a democracy, but not really like it's hit. It's a hidden dictatorship. Okay. Um, and so they can't like outright come out and say like, Hey, you are sent to prison because you are a political opponent or whatever. But what they're doing is doing this propaganda initiative and saying like, Hey, we are sending out these people to help rebuild the city on the East coast that used to be like the, the center point of our culture and whatnot. Okay. And what people don't realize is that it's super far off. There's no resources. Really. There's kind of, um, there's some other things plaguing it that we can get into later, but it basically is just marooning them away from everywhere else in the country and then they're constantly being attacked by shark pirates who okay. for right now cannot come on land, but they are working on ways to establish that. Okay. Um, so uh, our hero, getting back to that, his name is Terlik and he is half orc. Um, oh, that's fine. I think it's, I think it's good to not always have humans as your protagonist. Definitely. Um, so, so he's going to be an, a half orc. Uh, well, I guess he's half human if that's the case. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but he's, he's very seasick, very scared of adventure to some sense, but he okay. does like being out in the wild and exploring. Um, he's going to wash ashore. He's going to have to learn the language, all these things. Um, but because of his natural cartography skills, he's going to easily adapt and be a ranger after some training. Okay. Um, this opens up world where he can maybe learn from Delve how to do druidic magic as well, since Delve is also a ranger and would have similar magic type. Um, but yeah, so he's going to be the re the reluctant hero who helps try to be part of the team and ends up having to shoulder more burdens than he's expected to. So he's sort of, he's a uh, Milo Thatch then. Exactly. I really like um, that. A half-orc Milo Thatch. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's scrawny for an orc, but because he's still, like, green-skinned and whatnot, people are very scared of him. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting, too. Um, even uh, though he's very timid. A timid orc. Yeah, I like that. What's his name again? Um, Terlik. Terlik. Okay. That's like a name. Yeah, like you tear <laughs> something and then you lick it. Terry Lick. Yep. Okay. Um, 
Name pending. I feel like I, I feel like we have to say that with all of these names, right? Like, yeah. Honestly, you said you said name pending for Chilmarillion. I actually like. I'm name pending on practitions. Honestly, it's like <laughs> such a hard sell to be like, oh yeah, it's like it's almost the word practitioners, but not quite. And like, I'm the one who pitched the name, and I'm also I'm like kind of hesitant about it, you know? Yeah. So anyway, um, name pending on all on everything. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, another flavor I'm going to add. So he is a far traveler by nature for his background because he has to be. Um, right. But his subclass is going to be a Horizon Walker <laughs> Ranger, which is not a commonly used Ranger subclass, but it does a lot involving teleportation. And I think cool. that would be a very fun magic for him to use and something that he would relate to very easily with the idea of, yes, let's get away from danger. And then eventually he has to learn to embrace that to head directly into the danger. Obviously, he's a little smarter about it. He's not a barbaric orc, but yes. Well, and the concept of like, you imagine like the um, early cartographers with their like telescope on a stand kind of thing that they have. And then they have to like walk forever and line it up with something. You see him just teleporting. It'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, It, Um, It feels natural for him to want to learn that. Um, and I, I guess one way of, of dealing with this whole low magic world is just saying they are this class, but obviously we're going to we're take it down a few notches until they sort of discover this kind of thing. So, so yeah, I guess I kind of figured, dis- I kind of figured that the magic, we can maybe go over a few spells at the end and say like, oh, this is how we would rearrange it to fit our mold of magic. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. Well, that's good because my next character is an artificer, um, but not actually. He starts out as a champion fighter, but his whole goal in life is to become an artificer. His name is Noro okay. Noro Celta, um, and he is the nephew of Laconi Celta of Celta fame. I I was trying to figure okay. out a way to suggest what I was talking about. Celta is a is an anagram of Tesla. He's Tesla in this world. Ah, I see. Because we set up the whole uh, Edison versus Tesla thing as sort of a thing. And so I've got, I've named them Celta and Sidonia, which is almost, uh, <laughs> which is almost an anagram of Edison. Um, so yeah, um, Noro Celta is, so, is Celta's nephew. Sorry, what uh, were you saying? What is the, what is the older Celta's first name? I'm writing these down for Oh reference. yeah, yeah. L- Laconi. Which is okay. 100% an anagram of Nicola. <laughs> um, so he he's high elf. I am I am declaring name pending. Names name pending. This is my least name pending, but uh, uh, but yes, name pending <laughs> as always. Um, and basically, what I set up is that Noro is a noble. He's of noble birth, and was raised to become a knight. He went to. Um, he went to night school, obviously, and uh, <laughs> Clyde Knight's night night school. Yeah, Clyde Knight's night night school, and uh, but he's not interested in that. He's not really into fighting, but he's a he's a champion fighter, uh, meaning he's good at getting critical hits. And I thought that was fun flavor for he's like good at anatomy and he knows how to like really target uh, the human body and or or anybody. And uh, so anyway, he's uh, he's interning for his his uncle Laconi. And I have decided that Celta is sort of the one who 
he he is funding this party to go out and uh, and start discovering this stuff. Um, we may decide at some point that there are sort of rival exploring parties, but I think our main characters are going to be working for for this Tesla equivalent. Um, and okay. So um, Noro is going to be sort of a recruiter. He's sort of the first member of the party. He's the first Avenger. Uh, even though he's not exactly qualified, he recognizes that, well, at least I, I can be a bodyguard, right? He's, he's able to convince his parents that he is going as strictly a bodyguard because he, because these nerds need his help. Uh, but really he's interested in, in learning this kind of thing and, uh, getting more involved with his uncle's work. So, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. And his ultimate goal is to create robo knights to protect families without risking the lives of real knights, which I thought was a fun, uh, a fun motive. I do like that. Yeah. Um. So, Celta family is going to be more or less a good family throughout this series. Is that what I'm understanding? Uh, I, I think that's fair. Is- I mean, I think we'll probably span generations. So, I don't, I don't know if it has to be so black and white. But yes, I kind of picture, pictured the Celtas as being sort of the the kind, benevolent, um, science folk. Maybe questionable at times, but at least Nora yeah. is who we're <clears throat> grasping to is like the main good guy from that family. Yep. Uh, is Sidonia family then the Edison ripoff are they intended to be bad I don't know I think I think where it's a rivalry like this um it's more interesting if it's not obvious you know what I mean if it's not like oh these are the good guys these are the, these are the bad guys um well so here's what I want to hit you with because I do think for the sake of fantasy it does help to have like an obvious bad rival uh that's true um a bad a bad force. So like your Voldemort, your Sauron, your Empire, uh, all that. So I I don't I think it is more interesting to have a Willy won't he of Sidonia of whether he's gonna be good or bad. Um I do want to jump into the villain, who is the main dictator of this country. And that's what kinda, I was kind of we, picturing as being the main bad guys. So I think it would make sense for the Sidonians to be sort of working for him and, but you don't really know, you know, are yeah. they, do they recognize how evil he is? That kind of thing. So that's, that's good. Well, point. so here's what I want to, uh, uh, ask you is the dictator we have. I think he's hiring the Sidonias to work for him and he's using their technological achievements to impress his followers and impress the people who he's leading. And then he is using it, to turn against the Celta family and I guess some of this rebel faction that may occur as it comes up um, and trying to cast them as outcasts from society. I think our villain, who is this mastermind, is also trying to harness the evil warlock magic of years gone by uh, by performing an ancient ritual uh, in which he will raise up his son and teach him all the ways to be a master candidate for a warlock to create a pact with. And his son is going to be, uh, Zaria. Um, okay. And so Zaria is a human and he has grown up his whole life, basically thinking he's a prince. Uh, he, it's going to be based off of Zuko. Uh, okay. Yeah. He and basically his arc over the series is that Zaria uh, is trying to find out the nuances of uh, politics and trying to understand a better way of how to improve 
his father's country and then realizing that his father is not actually uh, interested in anything other than uh, something that will help him and his followers and uh, help him kind of outline the course of history based off of how he sees it. So Zaria uh, then has this uh, his personal crisis because he knows that he is being raised up and mentored to be this uh, uh, this patron or that yeah to be this warlock, be this candidate for their patron uh, demigod, um, and it's all about him deciding to. Uh, well, we don't know. I don't want to spoil it yet. I don't want to take a definitive stance, but all either right. he embraces it and then uh, misuses it to defy his father, or he just neglects the power altogether and joins the other team. Um, but he is going to be a warlock class, of course, because that's what he's trained up to be. Um, I think he starts as a fiend warlock and slowly adjusts to being a great old one warlock. The difference okay. here is that fiend warlocks are based off of like fire and dark magic. Um, traditionally bad characters. Great old ones have more of a psychic connection. Um and I think that's an interesting skill for him to read it or to develop is he wants to read people's minds so he can understand who is being unloyal to him and his father. But then he uses that and realizes the dark shadows within his own father's mind yeah. and it broadens his own horizons. So, okay. That's really cool. I actually um, really like, um, shoot, I just blanked. Um, I like the idea of this dictator guy. He's sort of trying to take a shortcut to this power. You know what I mean? Like all the, yes. our protagonists are all, they're, they're working to discover the, the source of it and figure out the rules and slowly piece it together. And he's just saying like, what if we could just cheat, go back and find these old gods, summon them and then use their power. Um, but that's good. I like, I like it a lot. But he, he's definitely in the meantime using Sidonia's inventions. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it'd be cool if Zaria had like a hex blade given to him that is technologically infused with electricity, and he is basically able to um, learn our practitioners' magic, our uh, physics bending magic, very quickly because it's all harnessed in this blade. I like the idea of him switching through different, a bunch of different subclasses of warlock. So yeah, cool. Uh, like it a lot. So yeah, that is something. And so Sidonia can be like his mentor where he's trying to learn from him because he's more intrigued by the knowledge and science of things yeah. than the political machinations. So he's, he's sort of a direct foil to Noro, Noro Celta. Um, he's yes. sort of the, the assistant of, of the main scientist guy. Cool. Um, sweet. Anything else with, uh, with this, with Zariah, was it? Zaria. Zaria. Cool. Um, my uh, next that, character nope, that's is, good for now. um, I was, <clears throat> I was really curious about doing, um, stuff with the sorcery class in D and D, but it felt so contradictory to what we are talking about of being low magic and you don't just inherit magic and that kind of thing. But yes. then I thought you could study genetics and find certain traits that are passed down. So I made a character who is a geneticist. Um, and basically starts out as, as, as a scholar with no magic, but, uh, but eventually discovers that she does have some latent, uh, abilities 
through her blood. She is a tabaxi. Um, okay. Her name is Tiapapalo. Um, which means she of the red butterfly. And that's Aztec. I found out that tabaxi names are generally uh, Aztec, according to the examples that are in the in the handbook. Interesting. <clears throat> so I took an Aztec goddess name, uh, Tiapapalo. Tiapapalo. So, yeah, so she is a professor, and she works at uh, Sidonia Hall, which is the university founded by Mothis Sidonia. Okay. Um, and so she she is sort of focused on she'll she'll join the party eventually, um, which we've I've established that the party is being sent out by Celta, so she'd have to sort of quit her job with with Sidonia Hall uh, in order to join the party. But she's sort of focused on finding you know learning more about genetics in general, and then also seeing if there are are these uh, supernatural abilities that that come with with genetics as well. I like it. Thanks. Um, Chapapalo. Uh, what kind of background is she? Tiapapalo. Tiapapalo. Yeah. Uh, background is scholar. Okay. I like that. Um, do you have... I Did you pick subclass for any of your uh, classes or are you just doing a general... Uh, I, did, I did for my fighter. Uh, he's a champion fighter. And for my, my next oh, yes, character right. also has a subclass, but uh, in general okay. I didn't. Yep. Okay, well, now that you know about Zaria, I'm going to introduce another character. Her name is Lamaria. Lamaria is... Uh, what did I end up determining she was? One second. I forgot to put down. Uh, well, you're looking for that. I feel like it's worth explaining at this at this stage of the episode that like we did this in a day, basically. Basically, it was uh, <laughs> Thursday night that we decided we were doing this episode and it's Saturday morning now. And uh, I think it's actually really fun that we were able to do all these dumb little characters. Yeah. Without that Could... much time. And that's way easier than uh, writing a book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Thanks, D&D. Let me... <laughs> Thanks, D&D. You're great. Um, uh, Lemuria is a tiefling. She is a tiefling in this East Coast city. I don't think I took a definitive stance as to what this town is. We'll just call it Eastport for now. Okay. Um, so and this that's, is that's the, the big city that is a fake democracy. Uh, Eastport is the former great city that has Got been it. ruined. Where people are sent um, to to sort of okay. So Zaria's dad is like the president or like the ruler of this giant land. And so he is banishing his political rivals to Eastport because it's a dead end where no one will really have contact with them. And they're okay. constantly being attacked by shark pirates. Um, so Lemuria is a tiefling who was banished there. And when Terlik first lands on the island, there's a lot of skepticism because obviously he looks a little scary. Uh, they're not really used to having orcs in their country other than the traditional barbaric sense. Uh, but Lemuria takes to him very fondly. She basically becomes a mother figure for him. Um, and she is motherly age. Okay. Uh, so she's like in her 40s or whatever. Um, she helps him learn the language, helps him... Uh, train. So I kind of have like a Sarah Connor vibe from the Terminator series where 
Uh, she's definitely like a little colder, a little hard, but it's like a hard love. Um, and you can tell the love is there because she's the only one who initially cares for Terlik. Um, okay. But she's also teaching him the language, teaching him life lessons. They are going to have like one of the fundam- fundamental relationships of this story. Cool. Um, what you find out later, uh, and this is maybe in future books, is that Lemuria used to be human. And she initially, uh, or she at one point used to be the ruler's wife. And she had offered herself to make a pact with the warlocks, or to be the warlock with the demigod they were trying to make pacts with earlier. They had a failed attempt. She was cursed, uh, transfigured into this tiefling type. And then she understood, um, I haven't decided a name on the ruler. We'll just keep him as the ruler for now. But yeah. then she really understood uh, his cruel intentions. And then she understands something about Zaria where he has like this predestined curse that he is devoted to living out uh, this fulfillment of becoming a warlock. And she is worried about the sheer power that would come about from him taking that rule uh-huh. or that role. And so her whole secret mission is to get to the capital and to kill both her former husband and her son because she is terrified of the power that they would wreak upon the world. Uh, so it's a very like flip take on a mother figure in that usually they're like, let's say, let's look for the best in everyone. Let's be kind uh-huh. of nurturing. She is all that, but she also is like, yeah, we need to kill my son. There, there's no way out of this pact. Monster. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then obviously she can find another way to approach that later. Yeah. Uh, but that is Man. how she starts. What happened to Zuka's uh, mom? <laughs> she she became a hardened tiefling. Um, um right. so wait, so uh so Zaria is half tiefling then? Uh no, so uh Lemuria was cursed to be a tiefling. Got so it, got that's, it. Oh, that's why right. you wouldn't. She was originally human. I forgot that. Yeah, you wouldn't make the instant connection. Um, and that's because their ritual process went south real quickly. They displeased the demigod. So that's why, um, the ruler has been waiting all this time and building up his son to be a new and more acceptable vessel. Um, Lemuria is a rogue. Um, specifically she is a thief rogue because she had to learn how to live on the streets. She had this big fall from grace. She's kind of been banished from society uh, banished to Eastport by her own husband. Okay, cool. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, no, I was going to say... I think, I, no, good. I was going to say, tieflings are a D&D specific thing, so it can be uh, something different when we actually get right. to the practitions, but it would yeah. be imp adjacent, imp humanoid adjacent. Yeah, cool. Um, I like this... This idea that the bad guys, like the very clean, like obvious choice for the bad guys are are getting a head start on this on having access to this power um, because they, uh-huh. they figured out this this info with the warlock and stuff. Um, but that that our protagonist will hopefully overcome that by just being really smart and figuring it out and piecing it together and giving that power to the masses, I think would be a fun way to have that work is yeah. like, Hey, you figured out how to make one war- warlock packed with a, with a patron. 
but we we figured out this knowledge and were able to give it to everyone and therefore take you down. I like that a lot. Uh, as a potential you power the masses. As a potential um, angle, yeah. A, have you ever read uh, the name of the wind or the anything from the King Killer Chronicles? It's on um, my list as I soon really, as I finish all of Mistborn. I like those books for the reason that the hero is incredibly smart and talented. And you usually like usually your protagonist in a fantasy story is more or less a blank slate that you can kind of insert yourself yeah. into and live vicariously through. They are someone where it's like, yes, they are someone I would kind of aspire to in some senses. And yeah. I like that Terelik has that aspect of him, that he is incredibly smart. He starts out very timid, very uh, unsure of himself. So he still has something um, to, to grow and learn in. Yeah. Yeah. He has something to grow and learn into, but he is incredibly talented and that's why he's able to gain favor quickly, even though initially people were terrified of him because of his natural talent, which uh, is a reflection of real life, I feel like. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, where do we stand here? We're at 40-ish minutes. Um, yeah, I'd say maybe one more character each and wrap up, tie everything together. And then sort of make some connections. Have. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I actually do just have one more, and it's JD. His name is just JD, and uh, <clears throat> I literally, as I was creating this character, the process was just, okay, I want to do a shark pirate. It makes <laughs> sense that he would be a swashbuckler rogue. Um, yes. What's a good name for him? I didn't want to do, like, a shark pun or anything. I literally just picked the two letters that I thought of, which were JD. It's like, oh, that's a name. And then, <laughs> and then I had the thought, oh, what if he's a lawyer because his name is JD? <laughs> And so he's not a lawyer, but he is like the clerk on this uh, pirate ship. So he he is a swashbuckler rogue. He's good with a sword and that kind of thing. But he, uh, after an injury, he was sort of delegated to just working in the sort of the back office of the ship. And he, he really enjoys it. And he likes doing that kind of stuff. He helps out with missions when he has to, but uh, really just kind of keeps to himself. And stat wise, I you said you used lizard, lizard folk stats. I just literally just called him a shark folk because you can do that because it's fantasy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and honestly, uh, I, I like I see him being sort of the 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 good guy who who will eventually be tempted away from these uh, pirates. Um, who okay. will eventually maybe become an ally to the main party um, when they realize, oh, you know these uh, these guys are really good and they're doing good stuff, and it's uh, it's uh, I I would rather be allied with them than with these pirates who are just here stealing. And I have to manage their finances. Um, I will just quickly insert. This is a quick sneak into this lineup because I have another character I actually want to do. Um, but I will do as an antithesis to JB, um, Captain Garmaria. Nope, not. That's a different character. <laughs> that okay. is. I think that's who I had as the ruler. Um, oh, yeah. Captain Solon. Um, and he's going to be the, the leader of the shark bandits. Um, okay. and I like having a little bit of a horror element to this where they're constantly being followed. And I think the shark pirates learn how to get on land. So that's why Terlik and Lemuria, um, uh, have to kind of lead this exodus out of Eastport and start heading towards the city. Um, and I think they find along the way that a lot of the countries in shambles, there's like 
maybe like a fantasy zombie apocalypse in some areas. <laughs> okay. Um, all this stuff. It makes for a fun, thrilling adventure. Um, but I like the idea that there is a constant chase factor. And that will be this captain, who was also Swashbuckler Rogue. Um, okay. My last character is, I thought it'd be fun to just include one of our own D&D characters we've played with. Yay! Um, so I'm going to include Tacobel. Uh, that good old name definitely has to change because <laughs> it's because it's literally it's just Taco, Taco Bell. Bell. Um, pronounced fantastically, Tacobel. What <laughs> he is multiclassing as a monk and a barbarian. Okay, uh, he was mostly he went, a monk when you played him, right? Yeah, and then a he four later elements developed, monk or whatever. Yeah, four elements monk because he is a fire genasi. He also did not start as a fire genasi. He was a high elf who went into a monastery to learn the ways of an ancient religion that is probably also related to the warlocks. Uh, okay. And he just did not fit in right because he never really got the whole Zen aspect of it because he had some anger issues. He wanted to be action oriented. <laughs> uh, this specific monastery followed an order of the four elemental demigods. Um, where they, every century, they choose a champion to represent them. And so everyone's like trying to prepare and embrace the, the attributes of their demigod. So like, if you're water, you're like trying to learn to be adaptive and flexible and life-giving and all this. If you're fire, you're trying to learn like drive and ambition um, and all this stuff. Um and Tacobol gets banished from the monastery, but there's a big attack on the monastery. And this is related to the ruler trying to take whatever knowledge they have. And this can be a first example of him demonstrating the technology achievements he has taken from Sidonia. Uh, doing that, uh, most of the monastery is obliterated. And Tacobol being one of the last few that was indoctrinated, even though he's banished, is the chosen champion for this monastery for the fire elemental demigod. Um, so he now has to represent him as his champion. And so he becomes a fire elemental. Uh, and then he joins up with this party to essentially avenge his monastery and all that they stood for. Okay. Good old Tacobal. Good old Tacobel. Um, a classic D&D character from a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, cool. How Who's my we, favorite okay. to play with? Because a, a monk barbarian is a very interesting take. Yeah, for it sure. It's very fun to play. Yeah. Um, didn't you have just like a bunch of attacks? You could just like punch people a million times. I mean, that's most monks, but. Yeah, that's true. Now they were a little stronger. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that's him. Let's wrap this together with what we have, and if we need to, we can return this later and add here's more what characters. I'm here's what I'm picturing story wise. So if we're starting our first novel, we need to sort of establish who who is where. I think we start with a conversation between the the ruler, whatever his name is, talking to Sidonia and saying you're not moving fast enough. We need this research done. Yada, yada, yada. I'm going to keep moving forward with my work that I'm doing with the, with the ancient ones. I'm um, trying to, to get this, this pact underway. Um, 
so that that kind of establishes that, right? Sidonia is working for the ruler, but is not necessarily bad. He's just a scientist that gets sort of conscripted into his service. Um, and then we cut to Noro, I think, and we have him on the road, um, and we get sort of his backstory of of working with Lacona Celta, and he's bringing the team together, right? So who is on the team? For for my side, I have Delza Gardener and Tiapapalo. Um, and so also Noro is part of that. Um, I mean, Terlik and Lemuria are also going to join that. Same yes. with Tacobol. And maybe Clark the Gable. Clark Gable. <laughs> I don't think Clark Gable's going to join. Neighbor. I, think, I think Clark Gable is like a funny character that we get to play with when we're in his town. Um, yes. Which is, Del- which is Delza Gardner's town. So... So okay. maybe we meet maybe we meet Delza Gardner as she's doing some work for Clark um, on the outskirts of town, and uh, Nora walks up and is like, "Hey, I'm putting together a team. You seem like you're good at plants." No, I think he'd go. He'd probably go talk to the. He'd probably go talk to the mayor first, and the mayor would say, "Hey, we've got a very talented young woman named Delza, and uh, she may be just what you need for this team, but she's at Clark Gable's house. You better go talk to Clark Gable." <laughs> So what if this is the beginning? Like, this is kind of the prelude. Um, We see that this is happening. And then it cuts to uh, Terlik and his whole story and how he gets to Eastport and him building a relationship with Lemuria and then them having to leave Eastport. Um, And towards the end is when they meet up with this group or they don't even meet up until like the second or third book. And so we have like a game of Thrones style series where we're following three different plots that are working independently for the most part, but eventually and you don't really know. Yeah. Intertwine. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I think by the end of the first book, they probably meet though, but I really like the whole, the first book being completely separate stories. You don't know why they're, they're all being told. I think, yeah. uh, I think we're not George R. R. Martin. And so we're not going to pull off keeping them separate for as long as maybe he can. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that of uh, telling these stories pretty separately. So there's the Sidonia group at which, which would also include, um, Tiapapalo at first, right? Yes. Um, so Tiapapalo, uh, Moseth Sidonia or Mo, Mothis, Mothis Sidonia and, uh, Zaria would all be together at the start. Cause they're sort of, there'd be in this capital city, uh, with some connection to uh, the the big bad guy, so we follow and, that group. And the ruler is the overlooking shadow. That exactly he's kind of shrouds that. Yeah. And then we have this traveling group of scientists where we probably spend most of our time, right? With uh, um, no, because we don't have Terlik. I think Terlik. I think you're right. Yeah. Terlik is the main protagonist. So it's Terlik being banished. Is he banished or does he just leave? He he's going on a uh, exploration mission with his home with some people from his home country. He's just graduated cartography school. He is okay. doing an internship. They get attacked by shark pirates on their adventure. He loses. He Eastport. thinks he loses. Yeah, and ends up in Eastport. So okay. he is an immigrant to this country. So I think that's that's a good half of our book is just him. Him on his adventures and ending up in Eastport and uh, meeting his mother. 
um, who he doesn't know is his mother. Is that right? No, no, no it's not his mother. It's, it's it's Zuria's mother. Zuria's mother, who he doesn't know, yes. is the mother of the evil prince, essentially. Okay. Cool. So that's like a huge chunk of the story. And then we have these side stories uh, with with the other group getting together and they will eventually maybe in the second book, make it to Eastport and recruit Terlik. And, uh, that's great. Um, I think, so I think Terlik's leaving Eastport cause the shark pirates are pushing them out. Um, oh, okay. but I think, so Noro's storyline is kind of what is the connecting thread between the capital and Eastport beginning Eastport origin story. Um, and so they kind of help you like connect the dots of like how they could be related. And so they're doing background works. They're doing small raids. And then eventually Terlik meets up and kind of helps them uh, with uh, tactics as far as doing attacks because he's well versed in yeah. mapping out regions Maps. and all that. Yeah. And so they see his benefit and that's why they add him to the group. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Uh, is there um, anything else we should figure out here or should we wrap this up? I think that's a good chunk of development we've done with this story. Yeah. Um, we, we did some, some geography. We did some character development. We did some, some cartography and now we're ready to, to put it on a shelf for another six months and not think about it again. <laughs> um, okay. Perfect. Um, anything else we want to do before we wrap up? I think that's it. Um, okay. We will have Jake next time. Yes. Um, next episode is Minecraft 2. So yes. look forward to that. We'll do another three episodes of each of us proposing a topic. And then we'll do another special episode where we dig into something deeper of what we've done. I think that's a good way to explain it. Because um, like yeah, Pokemon can, RPG. We'll probably leave it open to being anything. But, uh, but I think a lot of the time we'll be sort of deep diving back into something we've already done. So yeah. Um, cause that's what we followed. That may adjust, but yeah. So thanks for joining us. Let us know You're how welcome. this was. Thank you for joining me, Brian. Um, You're welcome. if you like this type of episode, let us know. If you don't also let us know. Um, yeah, but be nice. For, uh, I, I don't think we say this very often, but we're always up for suggestions of topics you would like to have for episodes. So tweet at us, email us. Or just call us if you have our numbers. That always works too. <laughs> yeah, Brian, do you want to do you want to let them know where they can find us and contact? Yeah, us? I do. Um, we're on perfectbrainstorm.net. Uh, that's our website. Uh, we're on Twitter at perfbrainstorm, Instagram at perfectbrainstorm, and we're on Facebook. Um, but uh, on our website, we've got all our great uh, stuff that we're doing. Uh, we're eventually going to be sort of building that up even more. But for now. Uh, sort of a nice place to, to check up on old episodes and, and see uh, visuals that we've added there. So uh, yeah, uh, until next time then, uh, I'm Brian Perry. I'm Houston Bodily. And whether or not they need redemption, we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. Going back to our old podcast. Exactly. Okay, slowly, bye. I'll be silent. I always have been. Darkness floods your eyes When you need to see Don't waste your time on me Don't waste your time on me